0: The word yoga has come to be associated with certain practices, techniques, etc. But in its origin, the word actually implies an ascent or a growth out of a divided state or condition of our being into a state of unity and oneness. That is how Savitri, in one line, describes yoga. To feel love and oneness is to live. So we are not yet living fully. The word yoga itself means one, to unite, yukta. So essentially it is to ascend from this state in which we are, a dark and fallen state. We may not realize it. There are creatures who don't realize that they are leading a very limited existence. But those who can see they feel how miserable this life is, and they bid them to come out of it. But, like that fable of Mushaka Bhava, the Mushaka wants to remain a Mushaka. It seems, thinks it's the whole world. And, as beautifully put by one of the modern authors, what the caterpillar calls the end of the world, the master calls it a butterfly. <coughs> So we live in a certain world which is very dear and important to us. We cherish it, we love it, we hold on to it and that holds us. And when we are afraid of what is beyond it, you know, be here, it's very nice. Um, Just now um, Vivekji was mentioning about the number of audience, etc. It doesn't matter. What is important is if just one person, two persons, or if you dare to tread the sunlit path, that is always few. Story of Guru Nanak comes to my mind when his disciple tells him, you have number of followers. He says, oh really? Modern Guru Nanak. So he says, yeah, you have so many, see, so many are there. He says, Acha, we'll try it. So next day he says, okay, uh, I am going on a excursion, who will come with me? All the whole village is ready with all the packed lunches and you know how in India you don't go alone, you travel with everything. All It's a picnic. Guruji is going and he has asked for excursion, why not? So <clears throat> as they climb, we were reading this play about Ascent of God, Ascent to Truth. So after some time, many of them get tired and they say, Guruji, shall we stop for, shall we have a lunch break? At least tea. We say no, no, no. You know, I have to reach. Okay, they all start. After some time, many of them begin to get tired. And they begin to slowly, slowly start falling off the way. And as he goes further, the way becomes more and more difficult. And more and more people begin to drop out. They didn't know what they are signing in for. You know, when we sign up for yoga, we don't read there are many things in small prints. <clears throat> so they don't know. Then after some time, they see this Guru is just moving on. His beard has grown. He's looking fierce. He's no more looking that nice, neat, you know, handsome Guruji. So he says, Guruji, are you sure everything is okay with you? They begin to doubt. The Guru's sanity. Finally, everybody drops off except one person who had asked him the question that I believe you have many disciples. So when he alone is left, the guru turns and says, Do you want to come along or you want to rest? He says, No, I have got my answer, but I want to stick on. Then somebody asks Shirubindo, what is the secret of this path? Many interesting secrets is revealed. And this used to be one of the things which in the beginnings was told. Either stick on to the path somehow or allow the path to stick on to you. Even now when people go to the ashram, some of the old sadhaks you know when newcomers go and they are all into oh yoga, I have come for sadhana. Of course most of the people are aware of the whole background and they are they have already formed a routine in their mind. Oh, every day morning I'll do this, and afternoon I'll do this, and you know. So, most of the old sadhaks will say, just hold on for one year, just stay here. <laughs> Acha, is it? Of course I've left everything to stay here. It says, wait. After one year, we will ask, take this, talk this about it again. Then slowly people realize that how difficult it is to just to stay in the ashram. Just to live near the divine. So while it looks very nice, it's a growth, growth out of a limited state into a state of oneness, growth out of darkness into the light, growth out of a state of ugliness into beauty and truth. But the journey is certainly not so easy. As Shumindu wrote in one of his famous letters, no yoga is easy. When people complain, you know, difficult yoga, he said, no yoga is easy. In fact, for that matter, no effort to improve ourselves is easy and he added like french without tears no it's it's not like that it's a difficult process no doubt about it and if somebody conceals that truth it's not fair upon those who are signing in for it shobindu never hid the challenges that meet the person on the path so now very often when we speak about the path and when we speak about yoga as an ascent, we take it that this is, there is a state of division, of ignorance, of darkness, of ugliness, of evil, of pain and suffering. And there is another state, which is a state of peace and harmony and beauty and light and truth. And that state, we use different names depending on the angle of vision. Sometimes we catch one or two aspects of that state, which are the God's. And this is also given a name, normally world or, you know, creation or whatever. And we want to climb from this into that. And as we are saying, it's a very challenging journey. Any yoga if we take, if we take it in the true sense and real earnest, take a simple thing like Hat Yoga. Normally people think that, you know, this is the yoga means uh, standing upside down. But Hatha Yoga itself, if you really practice in the real sense and what is the goal? Goal is just to liberate the consciousness within the boundary of the physical body. Not from the mind and the vital, just from the confines of the physical body and thereby explore, discover new possibilities. The body itself can become light, it can grow, it can expand, it can resist the assault of, you know, weapons and, uh, you know, it can resist burning, many things it can. It can resist decay, degeneration, disease, so... Even that, the true heart yoga is doing it for hours, eight hours, nine hours, ten hours. Not what we do, uh, more like a fitness exercise. If you really take it in the sense of yoga. So that's why sometimes good to use the right word, not yoga. We use yoga very casually. Are you going for yoga with a yoga mat in the hand and you know, after half an hour, yoga is over. So... (laughs) I mean I understand if this uh, is uh, told uh, by people who are really who don't know but when particularly we uh, with an indian background say so casually and loosely oh i do yoga every day so you know it's 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 not good because yoga is it's not about this at all even hatha yoga just to speak of one path of yoga with one limited goal hatha yoga doesn't liberate us from the confines of the mind that's why hatha yogis can become terribly sometimes egoistic because they Make the consciousness freed from the body Not from the mind So the ego remains The shell of the ego remains And even that is so difficult Raj yoga Hours on meditation For a goal of The complete liberation of the consciousness Within the mind And possibilities of the mind Many faculties Powers which are lying asleep Dormant Telepathy Clear ones All these awaken in the yogi And therefore, he escapes from the narrow boundaries of the mind and develops many, many new things. There is a tremendous capacity of control of the mind over the body, even over events and situations in outer life. But ask the true Raj Yogi, not the popular version of it, for hours and hours they sit for meditation. There have been people in ashram for 4 hours, 5 hours, 6 hours. At one time... uh, Pavitra, the Bindo that I am able to sit for three to four hours in meditation at a stretch and I want to increase it now, <laughs> you know, we can't imagine. So they, that is one path. Then another path came, uh, which, you know, the path evolves as we evolve. So Hat Yoga is given to man in the age when he was very robust and, you know, he was living in the jungles. He was consci- conscious largely of his body. Then, as he becomes conscious more of his mind, then Raj Yoga. Then comes when he becomes conscious of his inner being, which has many tangled uh, thoughts and feelings and impulses and emotions and will and desire. He is given in still more uh, completer path, the Yoga of the Gita, where you use many parts, many powers, and you know, given to us within the realm of nature to pierce the whole. And come out of this state of ignorance and delusion in which we are caught into the truth of unity and light and freedom of infinity. So these, you know, the path also evolves as human consciousness evolves. And then there are many other paths, we will not touch upon that. This is the path of the Buddha, the Eightfold Path and the Law, These, this path of Christ and of course... Uh, that is how the journey goes on. There is the path of Tantra which plays with nature and the forces in nature and goes further. So, Sri had seen through and practiced and realized the truth of these paths and even the mother. There are prayers of the mother where she says, Thou hast made me taste the realizations of each and every path. And then she comes back and says, No, this is inadequate. This is imperfect. This is incomplete. We can... At the most, pierce a hole from the zone of ignorance and escape into light. But we cannot stay there. After a while, we have to come back if we have to lead life here. Otherwise, we have a choice. And the ancient yogis speak about it, that you withdraw, but don't come back. Stay in a state of trance. And for if you stay in a state of trance for um, 42 days, it has been said that the body will dissolve. You know, We have stories like that in our... Indian thought that the yogin doesn't come back into this and so the body dissolves and you enter into that beatific state. But if you want to maintain a connection with the world, you have to come back. So when you come back, it is again the life of ignorance and the instruments which are built of ignorance and you have to use them because that's the material at your disposal. You have seen beauty, you have heard the music of the higher spheres. But you cannot express it here because the instruments are not ready. The faculties are not developed. Shobindu was not happy with this half-hearted effort. We read about you know, those lines, the sages who ponder, ponder in an unsubstantial light. And the wise who climb, climb but one half. They see but one half of truth. So he wanted this not enough. This story has been going on for long. And it had its purpose, it had its role. Now the time has come to invade this very sphere of darkness with the light from beyond. Now, as we have said, even the journey, ascent out of darkness is not easy. Because the very first steps to start with, what do we hold on to? Very often people ask this question, how do I begin? So everybody wants a fixed way. To begin. Now, you know, in swimming pool, you can talk about it that begin from this end, from the shallow pool, go toward the deeper end. This is the beginning, that is the end. But what do you say when you talk about the ocean? So, you know, traditional paths are often often like swimming pool, well-defined, well-defined beginning, well-defined end, well-defined techniques. But what is the perfect technique? When the ocean, because this creation is an ocean, There are two oceans The Vedas speak of that There is an ocean above The ocean of light And there is the ocean below Aprakritem salilam The dark ocean Now this has to be invaded by that So what is the perfect technique Of a world changing yoga And Sri says There is no perfect technique It's not about technique and methods It's not that you have to do this and that But we have to know Touch the core The essence What really is it? The key that we can hold on to. And if we have the key, then the rest becomes easy and simple. And all his life, Sri effort was to give that key to man, to make it easier and easier and easier. And this is a method he has followed all through. You see what he did for India's freedom struggle. People often didn't understand. When Sri left the scene, or so it seemed, people said, oh, you have left the freedom struggle and gone away. Some people were very unhappy. For instance, there were Chandra Duttis, you know, who used to call Shurabindo chief. And he was very angry that Shurabindo left and went away, not realizing what he had done. So Shurabindo in his own letters, he writes, No, all the lines along which freedom has to come, they were already released and established. They were already done. And then he knew, he was assured that the freedom will come. And then he withdrew. What had he done really? If you really see what he had done was awakened the sense of mother in the country. It is not about fighting against British, fighting against the Mughals, fighting against the Greeks. We have been doing it. But it's about fighting against our own limited sense, the limited self. Even if you win the country, if you remain a limited being, then what will happen? What should be the foresaw? Gundaraj, Bolshevism. Things look ominous. So all the time he was awakening, inspiring. That if people can awaken to the sense that this is not just a piece of land, but she is mother. Mother India. A living goddess. Then we will do things for her. Then we will be, her force will enter into us. And that's precisely what he does in Durga's truth. You know, he saw... Mother India is a living goddess and, you know, he calls her Durga. And he says, Mother Durga, enter into our bodies with the yogic strength. Mother Durga, slay the enemies. Mother Durga, you carry us. So, essentially, he wanted us to establish the sense of the Divine Mother in the limits of the nation so that we can, after that, walk the path with our head held high without bothering about means and instruments because they will develop. They will develop because of this release of this inner energy. We have the famous vision of Swami Vivekananda when he saw uh, Mother India while walking in Himalayas in chains, iron chains and all. And he is very much overtaken and by emotion and wants India to be free. And suddenly the Mother appears before him, golden, resplendent. She says, you think that anybody can bind me? It is because I have chosen to be like this and I will come back in this form. So this is the secret to awaken that central truth. Then he shifted on to a still greater venture and which is the venture of emancipation of mankind. It was not enough that a country is liberated and some people wake up to this greater reality. But emancipation of mankind, the, whole, the human race as such. And there again he was doing the same thing. And the same thing was to awaken the mother and um, establish her in our midst. Nalnida describes it very beautifully in one of his essays that before mothers coming, they all had a bohemian lifestyle. They would come, live the way they wanted, they would go here, there. Nobody, uh, you know, sometimes they would ask Shubindu about some instruction, and Shubindu would give them that instruction about yoga. But there was nothing systematic, nothing orderly. And then he says, then suddenly mother came. And when mother came, our life began to change just because she is there. And Shubindo, the big thing that he did was to establish the mother in our midst. Now she began to, by her own example, by her own pressure, the the power that she be, held within herself, and she had realized she began to mold humanity by her mere presence. And Shubindo knew that the moment she is there, rest of the things will become easier and easier. So when Nirodha asked him, what is the central secret of this yoga? So Sri says, there are two secrets of this yoga. The first is to open psychically to the mother. Then he did not write anything further. So Nirodha says, what is the second secret? As if that was not necessary. So he says... To aspire for the divine life. Because we can open to the mother seeking some protection and blessing for our worldly life or other things. And she is the divine mother. She will do it. Why not? She will do everything for us. But the best is if we open to her to change ourselves. So this is the highest privilege given to man. So this is what she was. Uh, he was establishing in our midst, the divine mother and teaching us how to open to her. This is how he was making the yoga easier and easier. And that's why when people would often ask, what is the technique of this yoga? Well, technique is lay all on her. She is the cause of all. Open to the Divine Mother. Then he saw that even that is very difficult because human consciousness resists it You know, cannot surrender easily. So he said, okay, let me use a means which is very impersonal and universal at the same time, which people will not resist. And therefore, he embodied that power and consciousness, that force of the Divine Mother in the book Savitri. Now, book people will read, Now, you know, hopefully. And as they will read, they will come in contact with the consciousness of the Divine Mother. What is Savitri? But a story of the Divine Mother, if we ask in one word. It's not philosophy or you know difficult poetry, all these are just our words. If we look at Savitri very simply, like we have the tradition of Ramayana, the Bhagavad. What is Ramayana? The story of Lord Rama. What is Bhagavad? The story of Krishna. What is Savitri? The story of the incarnation of the Divine Mother. As simple as that. And we read it like that. And where does the story begin? It begins by introducing the Divine Mother who comes into this darkness. Because it's difficult for man to ascend out of the darkness. Because of many things, most of all, we love darkness. It's very difficult to um, touch that light and remain there. Man wants to come back. We read this uh, these lines that, you know, dim in human hearts the ascending fire. At another place in Savitri, shubindra says, Heaven's call is rare. Rarer the heart that heeds, Because, you know, we are accustomed to the mud from which we climb whose law we know and we want to slide back. That's why, you know, people uh, go to Pondicherry and, you know, ashram, samadhi. Ah, wonderful. Even those who live there, they face the same challenge in a much greater way. So, you know, you are there, right? The Lord is there. So, what should be the natural thing? To give yourself and say, Wow, that's it. That's my life. But what happens? After 15-20 minutes, ask anybody who has gone to the samadhi and everybody will say it's wonderful. I'm sure it's a universal experience many many must have gone there isn't it so ask them uh, why don't would you like to live there all the time no 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 you know that's people want to come out after some time even when the cell phone is in silent they begin to hear some sounds some sometimes a very strange sight i have seen and it is i have never understood it you know somebody walks into the samadhi you have the uh, silent cell phone Sometimes people forget, that is okay, nothing wrong with it. They walk up to the samadhi, I have actually seen it and I have wondered, oh my God, this also happens. And the person is about to, you know, probably getting ready to do something, maybe bow down or something and the cell phone rings. And you see the hurried steps as if, you know, world will crash if you don't take that call. It looks like, you know, many times when we discuss uh, and debate on a dining table, we discuss as if the if we don't decide the future of a country, the country will finish off. So, you know, I use this now, uh, you know, whenever we sit and discuss, I, if somebody asks, what are you doing? I say, we are deciding the future of the world, you know, <laughs> because that's what we believe. So, we rush out as if, you know, something is going to happen and the person is so much waiting that you know the call should not get cut you can call back what is there but so this is our state present state we cannot live and breathe in that air it is so beautiful so powerful so wonderful people have felt it but it's you know so laborious we cannot breathe it for long even when people go sometimes you know All the way, the journey and, you know, another thing. I am just showing some of the challenges that come in the life of yoga through real practical examples. So, sometimes you ask, okay, um, why don't you come? Oh, no, when mother will call me. So, when mother will call me, you will go. But for, uh, you know, if mother-in-law calls, you rush, you take the, you know, immediate plane ticket and go there. You don't worry about it. So, what is this mother will call me? Has she called us only once? Uh, call doesn't mean she will send a plane ticket with booking and say, you know, you have been booked in Par Guest House. Please, my child, come. I'll be gratified and uh, you will do a great favor to me by coming. It's a joy. It's a opportunity to breathe those few minutes. I remember uh, Hasmukh Bhai telling this incidents and I was deeply touched. You know, once he came to Surat and he was thinking, I have just one day or uh, should I? go to Pondicherry or not and he called up Usha Bain. you know she is no more with us and what a wonderful lady how beautifully she left her body so he called her and she said so uh, when are you coming he said I don't know I am thinking you know uh, I, I have very little time maybe if I come I will be able to come just for an hour or two he said come come for an hour or two it is worth it look at the attitude come for an hour or two doesn't matter and we have it in our tradition, We don't know what mother will do in those few moments. So, this is the big challenge which he saw that something in us resists. And we can't even discover it. That's the big problem. You know, what to do? We can't discover it because we are surrounded with a giant ignorance. And it is a strong grip on our nature. It will give hundred reasons, hundred excuses Sometimes people had very strange excuses. I don't want to go to the mother when I am unclean. That is as good as saying I will wait for eternity. I mean, if I have to clean up myself with my own power, then uh, I don't really need the divine. <laughs> I am divine. Somebody asked Survindu about, you know, sadhaks in the ashram. He said they are sadhaks, they are not siddhas. If you are a Siddha, you don't need to be anywhere near the divine. You have discovered the divine. So this need, this he he knew the challenges of human nature. And so the path that he wanted and which he was creating and carving was the Sallit path. It is to make the process easier and easier and easier. He didn't want to give us a fixed method and technique because he knew it is difficult. He will tell us that, okay, every day sit one hour in meditation and mind you, I am not saying something which I have not seen. I am well conversant with many ashramas, many paths and gone to all so many places in the world, spiritual places and all are very fine. But, you know, uh, there are people who are given this uh, thing that two hours a day you have to meditate. And they sit religiously. And is it so simple? Sitting and meditating are two very different things. Those who meditate don't need to sit. And those who need to sit are still far from the real meditation. There is a very nice, you know, Kabir Das says, Sado, Sahaj, Samadhi, bhali." When meditation becomes natural and normal, because you don't want to come out of that state, it's so wonderful. Who would want to really not meditate? When mother was asked that, you know, aren't these methods useful? She was asked about, tell us something about Meditation. She says, people often think that to sit in meditation for many hours is the sign of great uh, yoga. She says, no. Many people uh, do their meditation as if they are paying a debt to God. And she says, it's not a sign of progress. The sign of progress is when it is impossible for you not to meditate. Because, you know, it's so much of inwardness that develops. That we want to breathe that air, live in that zone. And how does that state come? So that's why when, so the disciple asked that, uh, but still, you know, techniques are and methods are useful, aren't they? She said, yes, but we are not seeking for a technique or method for its own sake. We are not seeking that. So, all through Shubindo wanted to make the journey easier for man and the path that he gave. I think that's the subject you asked. It's the sunlit path. Now what is the difference? Normally we have the lamp lit path. The mind. Mind decides everything. What it should do. Where it should begin. So when we ask this question. How do we begin? It's nothing but a mental question. How do I begin? We can tell the mother. I don't know how to begin mother. She will carry us. She will not only say. She will carry us. I know you don't know how to begin. It's honest. It's honest. If I know how to begin, then I am already many steps ahead. So simply we can go and tell her, Mother, I, I I feel the urge to walk the way, but I don't know how to begin. We can ask her to teach us, and things will awaken within us. We will be inspired. We will come across a book. We will read a sentence. Somebody will tell us something and we will move. It's not like a book. Or else, something else may happen. She may say, my child, you want to do it yourself? Or will you... Can I carry you? And we may say, Mother, I don't know how to begin. Will you do it for me? And she will carry us. So the path can become like this. So it's not about how to do yoga. That is not the challenge. The challenge is, can we really, in all earnestness, give ourselves to the divine? And it looks very simple. But for some reason, which personally, at least I have, I don't know, I won't say I have understood. I have not understood. But there is a resistance to give oneself to the divine. Perhaps because we hold our individuality so, so sacred that any talk of surrender and self giving, there is a discomfort that, oh my God, I, you know, I lose myself. And mother would say, well, my child, when you give yourself to the divine, he raises you to its ultimate possibility. He doesn't need that. He needs it only so that he can work upon it. When we give ourselves to the divine, what does he do? What is his sabhav? That's, that's why he's like Parasmani. And when we give our iron and touch it with the Paris money, what happens? He transmutes it and gives it back to us. Now when he gives it back, changed into gold, and we say, but where is my iron? So we want the gold and we also want the iron. Because we think we have lost something. But if we really look at it in, in a very direct way, we, what a wonderful bargain it is. You know, we we want to bargain. What a wonderful bargain. What is he asking us? Give me your lower nature, full of ego, riddled with the, moved by the whip of desire, full of this unnecessary pain and suffering, which comes naturally, you know, by being, by breathing this earth nature. What are you going to give me in return? Well, I will give you peace and light and beatitude and harmony and love and ananda. But can you not give me, when I hold it back, my child, if you hold it back, there will be no space for me. I want you to give these things so that there is space for me to come. If you hold back to your old ways of thinking, living, being, where is the space for me to enter? So that is the big challenge and you know, to let go of these things. It's not something beautiful and that's what Sri Aurobindo says. Why do we hold on to anger, jealousies, um, lust and greed and, you know, fears? For what reason? And if we give it, and she said, give them to me. She, she would often say, I don't want your package of virtues. I have seen through these things enough. Give me all this which is in your nature. Without any hesitation. Very often... You know, shivbindu would say, Have you written to the mother? Have you met the mother? Write everything to the mother. So, some disciple would go and say, Mother, you know everything. What is the need to write? Mother said, Yes, I know everything. But I want to see how much you are conscious about yourself. <laughs> Simple thing. Can we imagine that writing to mother becomes yoga? Somebody would patent it as Lipi yoga. Be careful, <laughs> huh? <laughs> there a lot of, you know... New gurus which may come up even in integral yoga or, Oh, through me you can go to the mother and patent it as lipi yoga. But what a simple way to speak to her. I can't meditate. Alright, go and meet the mother. Speak. See, what was the yoga in ashram life? And it's a hint of what yoga should be. What was the routine of a sadhak? Very often people ask, what is the routine? Now, think about it, 60 years back when somebody asked, what is the routine you follow? What he would say, we wake up in the morning and we get ready. Where to go to? Oh, mother's balcony darshan, 6 o'clock. So they go for the mother's balcony darshan. After that, oh, after that we go to a department, then we also sometimes come for mother's vegetable darshan. (laughs) There is flower darshan when mother is seeing all this. And disciples are running. Sometimes, you know, when mother would walk very fast, sometimes they would want to have her darshan when she is coming out to the ashram, then run to the playground when she is going in the car that I should reach there. There was a particular disciple, you know, he would he, it was his work to see that the mother sits in the car and would close the door and he must open it again. So it was his yoga. So he would close the door. Now, You know, it's a game mother would play and he would run fast speed and stand at the playground. The moment mother's car comes, he opens the car like a child. I met these people. It's an humbling experience to meet them. They never, you know, gave us big lectures on, you know, do it like this, do it like that. But in their life, they exuded love. They exuded the spirit of surrender there were people who were much changed in their being. Very often I have wondered how these people can do such things so naturally and spontaneously without any selfish interest. And still there are so many people. Because this is the path through which they have gone. And then again the whole day, department when somebody asked Bindu, I want to come to practice this yoga. um, Will the mother give me The mantra? So Srivabindu says, writes a letter, reply, the mother does not give mantra, she gives work. <laughs> work. Day and night there are people who are working, like monkey. But Rama is monkey. They have no time sometimes even to sit for meditation. I have seen such people in the ashram. And if you go at 10 o'clock, sometimes they will come because work is over. And they will sit and <laughs> you don't know whether they are sleeping or sitting. 11 o'clock, they will go back and 2.30, they are up and about doing the work. And I am talking of today, 40s, 50s. How how are they doing it? Where is the source of energy? Because they have learned this art, this trick, if I may say so, of just surrendering to the mother. This was the yoga. Then again, after everything, they are all, you know, those days, they would all be sitting in the ashram courtyards, waiting for mother to come. Mother would sometimes come at 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock, and they are waiting, sometimes they would doze off. And just before mother is coming, it was given to one of the men who was in the military at some point of time, Hardhan. And he had a very gruff voice, and he would say, on that you know announcement, Mother is coming, mother is coming, and everybody, Mother is coming, mother is coming. What a joyous thing! Just imagine for a moment. Everybody is sitting in the ashram courtyard. Mother will come. Mother, will come. mother is coming. Mother is coming. Ha! Ah, mother is coming, and mother comes. Just a few minutes. They breathe her atmosphere, and she goes to the room. There is another disciple waiting. You know why these stories are important. If you want to know about, that's why we say just reading Bhagavat is liberating. And mother and Sri there is a Bhagwat of Bhagwats. So there is a disciple who came for a very, from a very rich family and who's, who was living in a small little room and he was looking after the electrical department, electricity problem. Now we have a department. That time it was in charge of electricity. <laughs> so you know, when, when he would go to sleep, after mother has switched off her light, he would wait to see when his mother lights his off. And then he would... Go off to sleep, and he had he was told that any time he can approach the mother any time, and when would mother go off to so called switch off her light? Sometimes at two, two o'clock. Sometimes at one, one thirty. And then of course she would get up at four o'clock, and all the people are going and meeting her. This is the life, and what wonderful change! So what is this path of yoga? This yoga is simply to give oneself to the Divine Mother. How does it begin? By a central giving, central faith. Shivendra uses the word central sincerity. What is central sincerity? I want this, nothing else. Nothing else can satisfy the thirst of my soul. Many lords will come, and particularly the spiritual market today is flooded with gadgets and gurus. And everybody is promising, come here, come here, come here. I'll give you some experience, you know. What? Your kundalini will awaken. Yeah. (laughs) And you are on a vibrator and kundalini awakens. Oh, I get this experience. Oh, you want nirvana. Oh, Guruji has assured that next life you will definitely be, you know, up and above. Many things will come. But no. Central sincerity is, not detailed sincerity. This is my life. This is my path. This is my goal. Wherever she takes me, holding my hand. If she takes me through the fires of hell, she is there holding me. If she takes me, you know, Prahlad, this is the path of oneness. And Mother said that this is true. What was Prahlad's path? Mother is holding me. He didn't use the word Mother. Narayana is holding me. Fire? No problem. Narayana is holding me. From the mountain cliff, Narayana is holding me. And Mother said, he who can live with this sense of the one is always protected under whatever circumstances. So, in every situation and circumstance, to begin to feel her hand, this is the goal, this is the path, central sincerity. Then, spontaneously, it will spread into many parts and that's a long journey. Sincerity in the mind, in the heart, in the life, impulsions in the vital, in the lower vital, in the body, that's a different story, will not go. But central, fundamental, fundamental faith that yes, the divine exists. What is the faith that Sri asks us to have? Not a dogmatic belief in this cult or that cult. He says, the fundamental faith needed for this yoga is that the divine exists, number one. Obviously, if there is no divine, there is no yoga. Second, that if He has called me to the path, He knows better than me. Very often when we go through states of despair and darkness, so there is the dark path and the sunlit path. The dark path is I am no good, I am unworthy. See my life, I am entangled with hundred things. Are you, she is bandhan mukta. If she wants in one moment, she has kept us because you have to go through a process. So, to trust that the divine, if he has called me to the path, he is wise enough. He knows how to take me to the end. He will use everything as a means and a material for my progress. And then he says, and to cleave to the path, this is what is important. So he says, this is the faith that is required, nothing complicated about it. That there is the divine, and the divine has called me to the path. He will take me. I will reach in his own time. I will not insist in my own time. I will reach in his own time by the path that he takes me. And all that is needed is to cleave to it. So this is the path of yoga. Had to have faith. Then mother said that give yourself. This is very difficult because by nature we are taught from childhood. Practical, We become practical men. but practical people don't give. They take. And if they give, they first want to make sure what they will get. If I give 10 rupees to the divine, how much he will give me back? 100? Then another divine will say, no, no, I will give you 200. Okay, this divine is better. This is bargaining. It is not giving. Giving is not done with this idea of what I will get. So how do I give myself? Mother says, with the mind, give your thoughts. What does it mean, give my thoughts? If you see the whole day, where all our thoughts are running? Normally, around our little self and petty things. How long shall you tread the circling tacks of mind? Around our little self and petty things. Through the day, we are concerned about my well-being. My benefits, my profits, what somebody did to me, what somebody said to me, what somebody did not do to me, what somebody did not say to me. Thoughts. When we give ourselves to the divine means, to fill these thoughts with, thoughts turned towards the mother. How to do it? Very simple. Every time we catch ourselves thinking about ourselves, we should give ourselves a small little gentle slap. You idiot. You want to think about yourself? Or you want to use this time to think about the divine. Then you know we will say mother, 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 mother. (laughs) Then again after a time the mind will slip into back into oh my life it is so miserable. I am telling you the simplest and straight road to misery is to think about oneself. Anybody in the world even a king. If he thinks about oneself one will find life miserable. This is the nature of human. Because always we will see what we do not have. And the other way is to think about the divine. As simple as that. How to think about the divine? Is it something to be taught? If nothing else, take a book and read. If not that, just call Ma, Ma, Ma. Allow a line or two of Savitri to run into the head. Memorize a passage, anything. The methods will emerge. So this is giving oneself in the mind. Another act of giving in the mind is, supposing we, re, we have some opinion. And we read something from Mother and Shubindo which contradicts our opinion. What should we do? Most logical thing: where is this opinion, and where is the Lord's truth? Change your opinion, as simple as that. This will bring into the mind plasticity and vastness. But instead, we say, "Well, Shubindo has this to say, but in my opinion." So Shubindo will say, "All right, your opinion. Please keep it. Thank you so much." But those who know the act of surrender, whatever our opinion may be, and all of us, I tell you, you know, it's, it's not easy, it sounds very simple. For instance, I myself used to at one point feel, oh, we must help mankind. And then when I read mother saying that, you know, it is one of the illusions <laughs> helping humanity. I say, my God, <laughs> illusion, I lived in an illusion. And then the moment you say, yes, what you say is truth, the truth is revealed to you. What is the truth behind it? So these are simple ways by which we give our mind to the divine, our thoughts to the divine. Self-giving. Giving of our emotions and our heart. Does it mean we will now onwards not love anybody, but only say, no, no, don't come. I have na mata, na bhraata, na bandhu. <laughs> Shubhindo doesn't want us to do that. They are lovely aphorisms. At one place he says, you know... Uh, To commit adultery with God, this world was perfectly created. And then he says, we owe to the world something by way of duty. All the worldly relations, towards our wife, our friend, our father, mother, we have certain duty and we are bound to it by duty. But our secret love goes always to the divine beloved and paramour. Whom do we should really love? The divine secretly. There is a joy in that. You know, that's why romance is celebrated. Why? Because it's something secret. It's not something to be shown, not jumping and dancing and, ah, I love you, mother, so much. Mother is not impressed by that show. Inside, I love my ego. No. Inside, deep within. If somebody shook us in the middle of the night and said, whom do you love? Ma?" Is that a question to be asked? Aren't you alone? Somebody who has given everything to us from... You know, we often say we should be grateful to our parents. All right, yes. They formed a body. We should be grateful to our teachers. Yes, they formed our mind and personality. What about someone who walks with us from life to life? Who will walk with us beyond the pyre and the grave? Should we not be grateful? So this is giving in the heart, gratitude. And then the heart is filled with sweetness. Very often people say, I have bitterness in my heart. The simple reason is because your heart is not given to the divine. It is given to the ego. When it is given to the divine, bitterness will vanish like butter under the sun. And in its place, only sweetness will be there. Sweetness not only towards those who are good to us, but also towards those who hurt us, who say things which we don't want to hear. We'll feel a constant flow of sweetness. We'll be able to embrace everyone with that, you know, as an act of love. Because this heart has become a chalice filled with the ananda of divine love. Giving one's energies. If you see from day to night, Where are our energies directed? Mostly towards the satisfaction of our ego interests. Can we turn these energies towards the divine working in this creation? It doesn't mean we have to change profession. Whatever we are doing, instead of it just being a job which fetches us money and satisfies my ego, can it become a means for His worship? Then our job becomes our temple. God, it is true, has run away from most of the temples. But He has come to the offices. Because He was very sick and tired. You know, they have kept me in the temple and then they've worn all kinds of agarbatti. Some, some of them I am allergic to. You know, sometimes strange smells you will get. Agarbatti with ghee, diya batti and floor is dirty and you know, a strange smell. And we want to capture God there and you know, in front of it will be a fat Mustanda priest. You know, you feel terrified before him. And God is Chinnasa, you know, poor God is small, little. You can't go past the priest. You are looking for some way to so you know he has run away. So those who are say, you know, what should we do in the temples? Please stay away. Most of the temples have become devoid. But where has he come? He has come into homes, into office places. He sits on our desk, on next to our computer and says, Here I am. Do you notice me? Yes, Mother, I know you are here. That is giving our energies to the Lord. How do we do with the body? How to give the body? Mother says, very simple. To work for the Divine is to pray with the body. One of the first things that the Mother taught when she came, you know, she started something called a new idea. 1914. With those handful of people who were there. So people would sit once a week for, you know, she didn't use the word satsang, and they would pick up something, a, a, a new thought, a new idea, and they would contemplate on that, a new idea. And the second thing she did was that she would say, "You must. we see the chatter, once in a week for one hour, you should dedicate to a selfless activity. It starts with that. So we, it's, we can take this resolve that at least once a week, one hour. I will not do something for myself or my family or people who will satisfy and flatter my ego, but let it be a selfless action. Not even for my name and fame, but it's an action dedicated only for the divine. And it could be any action. And then slowly, the, the big um, problem is or the big um, uh, advantage is, if we give a little to the divine, He is not satisfied. He will start with that and then he will take the whole of us. This Duryodhana knew, a very intelligent fellow. So when Krishna said, give me five villages, he said, I know you, you are a dangerous fellow. You will start with five villages and finish my empire. This was the silent communication between Duryodhana and Krishna, not documented in the (laughs) Mahabharata. Don't ask me where did I read it. So when Duryodhana said like this to Krishna, I know your games, your tricks. So Krishna says, anyways, up to you. Even if you don't give me, I am going to take it. Anyways, it is mine. <laughs> and the time has come for me to reclaim it. So it doesn't matter, we start by giving some time to the divine. It may be half an hour, one minute, one hour. Depending on J.C. Amari Shraddha. Something offer wealth to the divine. Something of her life, that's what the mother puts in the beginning of prayers and meditation. Some time in just reading. If we don't understand, what is the problem? As if we understand other things. Sometimes I recommend this if life divine is difficult, please read Kant. You know, it's become fashionable. You know, I've read Kant. And I said, can you understand or you can't? Because, you know, I read Kant as 15 year old and I know what it means you know, to read Kant. So I would tell them, you, if you read Kant, then Shubindo is very simple. <laughs> he is a lot more direct. Or if nothing else, read um, Sankracharya. I can tell you after that, life divine will appear a lot more simple. <laughs> very difficult. Doesn't matter. The difficulty is solved by doing it. If this is my way, then this is my way. What is life divine? But Shura bindos letter to us. He is talking to us. What you should do to realize the divine life. Alright. If I don't understand, I should tell mother, I don't understand. Please make me understand. Amrita's story, you know, disciples are reading. Mother goes by, what are you doing, Amrita? Mother, we are reading three of them. Mother, we are reading life divine. Oh, life divine. What are you reading? Mother, we are reading Brahmana, Ishwara, Maya. But mother, you know, we understand nothing. (laughs) So sweet. Mother said, you understand nothing, but you must read it. Very good. You must read it. And then she tapped them on the head and went, you must read it. And they entered into a trance. And after half an hour, when mother comes, they are still in that. She calls them back and said, you know, my child, I can give you Brahman realization like this, but we are not here for that we are here for something else in one sentence she revealed to them the truth but we have to do our bit instead of wasting time let us read the life divine if I don't understand at least I will get a good sleep is that a bad proposition we will save upon sedatives it will be a relaxing sleep so I often advise that why do you want sedatives read a chapter of life divine (laughs) and if you can bear it and not sleep most likely, after one chapter, you will feel like reading the second one. And maybe after that, the third one, ultimately you will sleep. So, it's a win-win situation. If you don't sleep, you read The Life Divine. And if you slept very good, you slept reading The Life Divine. You know, there is a very nice couplet of um, Amir Khusro. He says, um, Khusro ran suhag ki me jagi pike sang. On the night of her honeymoon, she is a, he is addressing to the Lord, "I kept awake with my Lord, you know, keeping awake with life divine." So what happens? She says, ran, sang, jeet, jeet to If I win the game, the Lord is mine. If I lose the game, I am the Lord's. So both ways, it is a win-win situation. If we don't understand the life, the time was so beautifully utilized, at least it goes into our account. Divine will add credit and add it. If not understood, very good, he will write. If we say we understood, he will say, Ah, this man, ignorant. He believes he has understood life divine. <laughs> so such a simple path. What is the name for this path? Basically to center our life around the mother around the divine, in any which way, walking, sitting, thinking, brushing, bathing, and Srivinda gave it the name, the sunlit path. That means that light invades every sphere of life. You know, lamp lit path is, this much I see, the rest I do not see. Starlit path is, oh, I have to move in this direction, there is a guidance, but I have to do it by myself. Moonlit path is sometime I am full of josh and effort and then when the moon is in Amavasya, I don't feel like doing anything, it's despair. But we don't have to go through that. That days are over. Sunlit path, always luminous and bright. Always happy. We don't have to suffer. You know, this sunlit path is in opposition to the dark path. which People often believe you have to suffer to go to God. And some people have turned it into such a perversion as if God wants our suffering. They beat themselves, they bleed themselves and they call it going to the divine. Going to the divine is to go to the all delightful. It is ananda. In fact, one of the signs that we are approaching him is that we feel more and more joy inside. And if we have a latkava face, that means something is seriously wrong with us. The more serious we are getting outwardly means the more we are straying away. Inward seriousness is another matter, and even that brings us delight. It's a path of delight. So, sunlit path is opposed to the other path where we believe we must suffer. We must only look at food. Sorry for that, Govind. You are doing it. You are doing it in a very nice way, and all encouragement. But we must not, We must look at food like a witness Purusha and not eat it. So, if you want to know what a witness Purusha is, please observe him when he is having the dinner. We will learn what is witness purusha. For quite some time he is looking at the plate. <laughs> it's good. These practices are helpful. I am not denying it. But the salvi path is, we don't have to do this. We don't have to put ourselves, in, I mean this is okay, this is for health. But we don't have to do this, put ourselves, you know, lest the message is misunderstood. <laughs> you know, it's not about the, being indulgent. That oh, from now I, no, he's not, it's not the, it's not about this extreme or that extreme. It is simply stay balanced. Keep your head on the shoulders. Some people follow extreme. Oh, now Sherbindo is talking to me and guiding me and they shut themselves into... They begin to believe I am the world redeemer. Oh, the world redeemer is there. he's doing his job. Please let him do it. Let me be redeemed. But we want to become world redeemer. So the ego takes that aggrandized form. And people withdraw, start, you know, not meeting anybody, not smiling. And while they think they are doing great sadhana, those who have actually followed the path, they start feeling something is seriously wrong with this guy. Sooner or later, at least I know he's going to land up, either with me or with, you know, uh, psychiatrist part, I'm saying, or with one of the... Because it's dangerous. It's a path of joy, not a vital joy. Though Sri said, even vital joy is better than despair. But a joy that comes from the soul. When we are going to meet our Lord, our beloved, our Divine Mother, how can any moment be a moment of sorrow? It will be a cause of celebration. So, you know, I don't know where to stop, what a topic you have, you know, given me. But let me, I must read a letter of Sri Because this is something which is uh, too tempting and, you know, I, I had thought that we'll just start a few minutes and then we'll have question answers. So, look at Sri compassion Mother has said two things you must never forget Sri compassion and the mother's love forget everything else it doesn't matter one of the letters <clears throat> you say that this way is too difficult for you or the likes of you. This is one of the ways that darkness captures us and keeps us away from the path. Oh, it is very difficult. Only some very highly intellectual Harvard graduates can do it. They are the most unfit of fellows. Maximum people in the ashram come from small villages of Odisha. And they know the yoga in their bones They cannot give much lecture, but they know it in their bones. And ask them, what is yoga? What is that? Give it to the mother. You know, I often narrate this incidents, and I found it very funny. When uh, a friend of mine tells me, you know, why people, what is the job you do? I said, I am a psychiatrist. Means what? I said, no, people come and talk about their problems and, you know, issues. But why do they speak to you? I said, I am a psychiatrist. Don't you understand? No, but why they come to you? Now I was at loss to, you know, explain. Why should they not come to me? The ego of the psychiatrist. What do you mean? I am nobody and nothing. (laughs) I said, no, no, but I am a psychiatrist, isn't it? No, no, no. They should go to Samadhi and just tell the mother. Why do they come to you? I said, ah, yes, yes. That I understand very well. I said, because they don't know this, they have to come via me. (laughs) So don't you tell them to go to the samadhi and turn to mother. I said no, no, then they will stop coming to me and go to somebody else. (laughs) They want, you know, the problem to be very complicated. So they'll go to a psychiatrist and psychiatrist will make it very complicated. Childhood trauma, what happened? What was the issue? You know, oh, oh my God, your wife said this to you. Or your husband is very harsh to you. Oh, yes, yes. Tell me, I'll analyze all your defenses. It's so simple. Life of ignorance is like that. And if he simply gives a prescription after hearing everything, turn to the Divine Mother, <laughs> imagine they will come out and say, You know, this fellow needs help. <laughs> this is, he says, You say that it is only avatars like myself or the mother that can do it? And then Shubhin says, That is a strange misconception. For it is, on the contrary, mind Shubhin those words, on the contrary, the easiest and simplest, and most direct way, and anyone can do it. those words. There is an if. What is the if? If he can make his mind and vital quiet. Mother, you do it. I have thought enough. Mother would often give this example of the archer who was shooting arrows at night, and eventually he didn't succeed, or so he thought, and exhausted, he gave up. When he woke up in the morning, he saw the whole field was strewn with, you know, all his fruits. So, mind and vital quiet. And then he says something very interesting even those who have a tenth of your capacity can do it. He's telling a particular disciple. It is the other way of tension and strain and hard endeavor that is difficult. And needs a great force of tapasya. Other way. Oh, I must sit so many hours in meditation, I must do so many japas, I must do so many pranayams and strinwas practices. He says that is the difficult path. As for the mother and myself, we had have had to try all ways, follow all methods to surmount mountains of difficulties, a far heavier burden to bear than you or anybody else in the ashram or outside. Far more difficult conditions, battles to fight, wounds to endure, ways to cleave through impenetrable morass and desert and forest, hostile masses to conquer. A work such as I am certain, none else had to do before us. So he first says, you know, gives his example. But then he says something very interesting. For the leader of the way in a work like ours, has not only to bring down and represent and embody the divine, but to represent to the ascending element in humanity and to bear the burden of humanity to the full and experience, not in a mere play or leela, but in grim earnest, all the obstruction, difficulty, opposition, baffled and hampered, and only slowly victorious labor, which are possible on the path. So, you know, they have to represent that part. You know that famous story when, all the stones are floating on the ocean. They say, Jai Shri Ram and stones are floating. So, Rama wonders, what is this secret? So, at night, quietly, he sits and takes a stone and puts it into the into the sea and plop, it drowns. Now, he is surprised, picks up the stone, plop, it drowns. He says, what is this? So, Hanuman is watching. So, he says, Lord, it is natural. What is natural? They take my name and the stone float, floats. And when I drop it, it drowns. He says, yes, it is natural. Somebody whom you leave is bound to drown. (laughs) So, so, please don't leave it. If you leave it, it is drowning. So, look at, you know, he says, I had to bear it. Rama has to feel his, veil his divinity. Suffer the agony of Sita's absence. Fight the demon king. All this he has to do. But he doesn't want us to start fighting, you know, all the Ravana's in this world. But the Ravana within us is good enough. Then he says, But it is not necessary. Look at the words. But it is not necessary, nor tolerable, that all that should be repeated over again to the full in the experience of others. We'll have our small little Ravana's to fight. Usually our ego. Ten-headed, hundred-headed, doesn't matter. But, He says it's not only admissible, not even tolerable. This is not what he expects us to do. It is because we have the complete experience that we can show a straighter and easier road to others if they will only consent to take it. That much he leaves to us. Will you walk? If you don't want to walk, Shubindo, lover of freedom, says please remain free in your ignorance and find whatever you have to find. It is because of our experience, won at a tremendous price, that we can urge upon you and others. Take the psychic attitude. Follow the straight sunlit path. Psychic attitude. So what is the psychic attitude? Follow the straight sunlit path with the divine openly or secretly upbearing you. We may not always see. Trust That she is carrying me. And then he ends by saying, If secretly, he will yet show himself in good time. Do not insist on the hard, hampered, roundabout and difficult journey. And then another letter with which we can probably, you know, stop or take some questions. Peace was the very first thing that the yogis and seekers of old asked for and it was a quiet and silent mind and that always brings peace. That they declared to be the condition for realizing the divine. A cheerful and sunlit heart is the fit vessel for the ananda. So we should walk on this path cheerfully, not with a grim face. In fact, Mother says pessimism is the sign of the devil. If we are feeling pessimistic and despairing, that means that fellow is nearby with his tail or horns or whatever, sitting on our shoulders and telling us, you are not good, not worthy, not fit. It means he doesn't know about grace. That's how the Mother put it. That he doesn't know about grace. And who shall say that Ananda or what prepares it is an obstacle to the divine union? As for despondency, it is surely a terrible burden to carry on the way. One has to pass through it sometimes, like Christian of the pilgrim progress, through the slough of despond, but its constant reiteration cannot be anything but an obstacle. Sometimes it will come in life, we can't help it. But it's not the way to follow and not something which we should desire. I know perfectly well that pain and suffering and struggle and excesses of despair are natural, though not inevitable on the way. Again, qualifying it. They come, but it's not necessary. Not because they are helps, but because they are imposed on us by the darkness of this human nature, out of which we have to struggle into the light. And then he gives the example of another great yogi. Ramakrishna was not ignorant that there was a sunlit path of yoga. He even seems to say that it is the quicker way as well as the better. The baby cat attitude. That is why people, when they go to the ashram, they are looking for sometimes sadhaks. So they have an idea of sadhaks. So they are looking for somebody clad in girwa, you know, who is... It is a strange misconception that if you are wearing cloth of a particular color, you have renounced the world. So I like sometimes to tease. So I ask, okay, can you renounce your girwa or your white dress and wear, a, let's say, a green and blue combination? How about renouncing attachment to this dress and wearing jeans and kurta for a change? You see, renunciation falls flat. Can you renounce this... Uh, You know, you are always sitting tight inside this. Can you come for a movie to watch Bahubali too? (laughs) No, 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 you are blasphemous. You are spoiling my yoga, destroying me. If you are in yoga, you don't need this. It is a facade. So they are looking for that kind of a yogi, you know. They don't find, so they wonder where is somebody who is doing yoga. Nobody will say in the ashram that I am doing yoga. If somebody says I am a sadhak, people say, oh, he is still new. When people say, what sadhana? Mother does everything. Then, ah, he is now well grounded. So, you know, he says that it is not necessary. It is not because I have myself trod the sunlit way. Because Shubindo took upon himself all the burden of humanity. Or flinched from difficulty and suffering and danger. I have had my full share of these things and the mother has had ten times her full share. She took upon herself all the diseases, all the problems of humanity. At several points of time, she was on the verge of death. Thrice actually died in the sense technically the cord is cut. But she comes back. She says that she had to take these things. But that was because the finders of the way had to face these things in order to conquer. No difficulty that can come on the sadhak, but has faced us on the path. Against many, we have had to struggle hundreds of times. In fact, that is an understatement before we could overcome. Many still remain protesting that they have a right until the perfect perfection is there. But we have never consented to admit their inevitable necessity for others. See, this compassion of the Lord. We will go through. You know, be. Read this in Ramayana and it touches us when Ravana shoots an arrow at Vibhishan. What does Lord Rama do? Does not say, Vibhishan, it's your moment for courage. Didn't you learn archery? He just puts Vibhishan behind him and faces that arrow and it touches him. It's a very beautiful, touching story. He doesn't want us to go through that. He will fight the battle if we allow him to. It is, in fact, to ensure an easier path to others hereafter. That we have borne that burden. It was with that object that the mother once prayed to the divine. Look at her prayer. Divine praying to the divine. What is she praying for? That whatever difficulties, dangers, sufferings were necessary for the path, might be laid on her rather than on others. His prayer is there in her prayers and meditation. It has been so far granted her. Look at the touch of love. She has prayed that all the difficulties that come on them may come on me. Open them a free path. <coughs> and Sri Aurobindo says, it has been so far granted her as a result of daily and terrible struggle for years that those who put an entire and sincere confidence in her (coughs) are able to follow the sunlit path and even those who cannot yet when they do put the trust find their path suddenly easy So even those who cannot, after a while they find it easy, if they can trust. And if it becomes difficult again, it is only when distrust, revolt, abhiman or other darknesses come upon them. The solid path is not altogether a fable. And look at this last passage in this letter. But you will ask, what of those who cannot? So Srivendis is anticipating, many will say, okay, it's all very fine. I cannot tread the sunlit path. So the Lord has foreseen and is catering to them also. But you will ask, what of those who cannot? Well, it is for them, I am putting forth all my efforts to bring down the supramental force within a miserable time. Those who can take the sunlit path, nothing more is needed. But you will see that those who cannot surrender to the mother, they will talk about supramental force and records of yoga and how I will do it myself. But those who know what force, supramental or otherwise, can be greater than the Divine Mother, they just know to give themselves like a child in her hands and all else is done for them. The dark path is there and there are many who make like the Christians, a gospel of spiritual suffering. Many hold it to be the unavoidable prize of victory, so much so that if you see somebody happy and cheerful, you say, Oh, he's not doing yoga. How can a yogi be cheerful? He can laugh, he can joke, he's supposed to be looking serious, sitting all the time in Padmasana. So look how you know what he's saying. It may be so under certain circumstances. As it has been in so many lives at the beginning, or one may choose to make it so, but then the price has to be paid with resignation, fortitude, or a tenacious resilience. I admit that if born in that way, the attacks of the dark forces or the ordeals that they oppose have a meaning. After each victory gained over them, there is then a sensible advance. So many have done the yoga, relying on tapasya or anything else. So many have done yoga, relying on tapasya or anything else, but not confident of any divine grace. There are people who have taken that route. It is not that, but the souls demand for a higher truth or a higher life that is indispensable. Where that is, the divine grace, whether believed in or not, will intervene. So, it's not even that whether we really believe in the grace or not. She's there and she will respond to the sincerity of our aspiration. If you believe, that hastens and facilitates things. If you cannot yet believe, still the soul's aspiration will justify itself with whatever difficulty and struggle. So, in every which way, he has opened the path for all kinds of humanity for all the difficulties, the dangers, the ordeals, But to us, the command is, take the psychic attitude, follow the sunlit path. So, we can pause here.